Today's scripture reading comes from the chapter of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 3. In the beginning, when God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was complete chaos, and the darkness covered the face of the deep, while a wind from the God swept over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness God called night, and there was evening, there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky, and there was evening, there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the sky be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together, God called the seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth the vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, there was morning, the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give the light upon the earth to rule over the day and over the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, 
Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm and every winged bird of every kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things, and wild animals of the earth every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals of the earth of every kind, and the cattle of every kind, and everything that creeps upon the ground of every kind, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make humans in our, in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created humans in their image. In the image of God, they created them. Male and female, they created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that they had made, and indeed it was very good. And there was everything, and there was morning, the, and there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude. On the sixth day, God finished the work that they had done, and God rested upon the seventh day from all the work that they
they had done. So, God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it because on it God rested from all the work that they had done in creation. The word of God for the people of God. Let's pray. As you have spoken, dear Lord, may we be your agents upon the world that you have created. Give us, give us ears to hear your ways and hands to accomplish it. Amen. The season of creation is a liturgy that began in the year 2004 with the hope by the Uniting Church of Australia that it would be incorporated into preaching throughout their own denomination and then be contagious and catch on around the world. In 2004, Bill McKibben, whom you know, as well as the Uniting Church of Australia, were trying to raise awareness about general denial and disregard for the negative consequences caused by our mass consumption upon planet Earth. And in that hour, I include me. And now this was not new science even in 2004. But these were Christian voices trying to prompt awareness and advocacy in the worldwide church based on this incredible poem, song, passage from Genesis, which begins our scripture. God created all that you can see. September was the targeted month so that preachers would, could have the opportunity with liturgy to support it, preach the season of creation through September. Now the advocacy is to include this in as much preaching as possible, but the response in 2004 was slow, and based on what I've seen so far, it's still not as fast as all would like. So I am delighted that your cool planet understands that preaching climate change in a season of creation is part of preaching justice. Genesis, consider this a song set to music, as it were. Chapters one and two are both creation stories, and if you look at your Bible and you look at chapter one and you look at chapter two, they don't match. And isn't scripture awesome? Things do not have to match to be true. Both stories, Genesis one and Genesis two, were written by two different traditions. The um, Yahweh's tradition and the Elohimist tradition, and my preference is the Yahweh's tradition in chapter one. A song full of poetry. Song is an example of the power of language. Song can just be music when we hear Jonathan play a solo or Andy play a solo, but add lyrics. And because of the music behind it, those lyrics are in our heads, in our hearts, and we find ourselves singing them through the day. A song of creation is an 
image of the power of God's creative spoken word. As Sugi read so perfectly, thank you, God spoke and it was. God spoke and it was. Let it be done. As you know, scripture, God continues to speak, but then it, we kind of tuned some of that out. But this poetry is what I want to think about today, along with so many other things. The first one thing is creation never stopped. Sugi finished reading the story, but does it say God stopped creating at that point? Never. If God is creator as God is, that creation, the continuing creation, involvement never stopped. It is a pity to think that everything that God did ended on the Sabbath after which God, during which God rested. And we know through the ancients, the prophets, the disciples, Jesus of, and uh, disciples of every age, the creativity hasn't stopped and the speaking hasn't stopped. The song of creation has not ended. Now, let's compare it, our scriptures, to other texts in the ancient Near Eastern world. There were other creation stories and ours is not the first. But the other ones, they emphasized a battle among lesser gods, combating powers. Genesis 1 shows God as an artist, a creator, asking for relationship, grow, multiply, a working community of relationship, a community that once was chaos out of Earth's beginnings comes humans. Do we still have chaos? Yes. Welcome to the modern and every other world. But we have something. In our tradition, our Christian tradition, we have a God who believes in working with us. Now think about this passage. What is the one word that gets repeated after every single day, whatever day means, remember it's, it's a song, it's poetry. What's the one word that is repeated and spoken to each set of creation? Good. What a wonderful way to consider how our God views our world, our earth. I offer the image of a song because this text was not written down at the beginning of time. There, there was no possibility of writing things down. But the story that the people repeated to themselves was, maybe it was a song, maybe it was a psalm, but it was a story that was shared, parent to child to grandchild. Imagine gathering food, gathering wood to create a fire, building brick by brick. The story would be told, there was no internet, there was no radio, there were no books. What was their story? Song. Then comes the time of the kings and there has been battle and there has been destruction and there has been loss and King Josiah in the sixth century BCE realized destruction was once again imminent. 
And they had the tools, we can call it technology. They could write things down. So Josiah started having things written, the stories, the songs about God written down. And this became our scriptures. He was wise enough to store this technology in clay jars in the desert so they were preserved and archaeologists have found them. But the words were not transferred out of song and out of hearts onto paper. The paper backed up the songs and the hearts. The creativity never stopped. The story which began at creation, whenever that was, was in the hearts of the songs of the people. Now being me, I can't, I can't let a couple of words go by. I'm very disappointed in the translator's choice of words, which has, have caused major confusion for a very, very, very long time. Dominion and subdue are not the only options for translating this passage. We have interpreted, we have interpreted dominance and subjugation that strips the rights of the very creation, the very people, the very sustenance of this earth that God called good. It is an interpretation failure on our part. It has been used against people whom God has called good and it has been used against our planet. So I wonder if the newly published James Webb telescope pictures give us a better focus for the magnanimous creation that God began. Not just this planet, but the cosmos. Perhaps we can behold in awe rather than dominate and subdue. So I would like to suggest a different word, a word based on our modern vocabulary. We are stewards of God's creation and the creation yet to be. So I propose that a better translation is, God asks us to be stewards and offer stewardship in caring for God's created word the results of our planetary home. Now, stewardship is an economic word, but economics can also be applied to how we give and take and manage our household, our, beyond money, but also our things. You are handed a bouquet of flowers, and they're beautiful. Do you then dump out the water? No. Proper stewardship is you give water to the plants to keep the bloom alive. It is offering respect and mutual benefit. They're beautiful. Let's keep them alive. Let us make humans in our own image, God said. According to our likeness, let them have stewardship over the fish of, in the sea and over the birds of the air and the cattle and all the wild animals. Stewardship. Now I'll go to one of my heroes, Walter Brueggemann, who in 
1982, did not take my negative view of dominion. In his commentary on Genesis, Brueggemann quotes Lynn White's article, which she wrote in 1967. I think these dates are important because this has been a discussion in the church for a very, very long time. But it's been a quiet discussion and it needs to be amplified. So Lynn White says, the historical roots of our ecological crisis is human subjugation of earth and it's blamed on our abuse of nature. Brueggemann presents, as I said, a kinder view of the word dominion. He uses the word dominion this way, as that of a shepherd who cares for, tends, feeds the animals. Referencing Jesus in his Genesis commentary, Brueggemann uses the word dominion as the one who rules as a servant. Lordship means servanthood. So for Brueggemann, dominion means servanthood. It is the task of the shepherd not to control, but to lay his, her life down for the sheep. The role of the humans in the creation story is to see that, to see to it that the creation becomes fully the creation imagined and willed by God. Okay, so I still prefer stewardship over dominion, but I needed to give you Brueggemann's suggestion. Now I'd like to change references. I'm gonna go to the Iona community in Scotland. Have you been? You've been to Iona? Yeah, I know you have been. I was supposed to go, but then the pandemic ha happened. Their, one of their major commitments is to the stewardship of creation, the spirituality of earth care. Catherine M. Preston, a writer, an ecumenical lay preacher, and an associate of the Iona community, published an article in the most recent edition of the Christian Century magazine titled Earth's Self-Care. She writes, as far as I know, most indigenous languages lack a word for nature. After all, plants, water, earth, animals, human and otherwise, and sky are all made of the same elements interacting with each other. The relationships have been recognized for tens of thousands of years. The church needs to face this. We might, she writes, in the Christian tradition with a deeper understanding of what it means to be made in the image of God. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? When God called, this is me speaking, not Catherine, she has one more line here. When God called every single stage of creation, what? Good. Was it just humanity? Nope. Catherine writes. Are we really the only ones made in this image? End of quote. To which I would add, how have we left out the creation elements named good in our sense and understanding of the broad word stewardship? How have we focused on ourselves as the only ones with agency? 
Earth has agency in self-care, and this is the point of Catherine's article, and she writes, the changes we are experiencing on the planet are an increasingly intense adjustment on the part of Earth's system to respond to the excesses of us, which create hurricanes, droughts, heat waves, polar vortex. These are all the responses of the effects that we have created by Earth. Another scripture, consider the Gospel of John as he opens his gospel with a creation song. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. The spoken Word of God in Genesis 1 became flesh and dwelt with us. I came across, in my reading multiple articles as people are trying to get the church to wake up to this, the name Elizabeth C. Johnson, who in 2016 wrote and broadcast widely her essay and her spoken article, For God So Loved the Cosmos, when Christ became human, he also became part of the vast body of the cosmos. Elizabeth Johnson, CSJ, is distinguished professor of theology at Fordham University. For years, she has been advocating for the connection between all of creation and about the word becoming flesh, her words. She writes, flesh means what is material, perishable, vulnerable, finite the opposite of divine, but Jesus was both. God became material, the radical gift of the all-holy God personally joining our world. Scientific discoveries, she writes, have made clear that human flesh is part of the evolutionary network of life on this planet, which in turn is part of the solar system, system, which in turn came into being as part of a long cosmic history, billions of years old, long before there were humans. Where was their dominion? Theologians, she writes, Katherine Johnson writes, theologians have started to use the phrase deep incarnation coined by Danish theologian Niels Gregersen from the University of Copenhagen to express this radical divine reach into the very tissue of biological existence and the wider system of nature. Elizabeth suggests that we add understanding the human species as an intricate part of planetary and cosmic matter to the meaning of incarnation. This perspective, she writes, brings social justice and ecological care into a tight embrace. 
And Elizabeth has been preaching this longer than I've been a Christian. It gives me, listening to her for the first time, a whole new panorama of the kingdom of God with us. You may ask, where is there hope in looking at climate change? Consider this, those created in the image of God, air, water, soil, microbes, sequoias, redwoods, human, humans with diversity of cultures all celebrate being earth, God's amazing creation collectively and collaboratively. Enough from me. I would like to end with the words and poem by Christine Walters Painter from Abbey of the Arts. Earth as the original liturgy. Listen to how everything sings, the streams and stones, leaves and branches, fish and fur-covered ones, birds leading the chorus. See how your desire to praise is echoed in every living thing, how in quiet moments, the heart is moved to gratitude for all of creation, for the lavish abundance of it all. How nothing is earned, no achievements are needed. May you simply show up with breath, blood, and bones and your loving attention to hymns erupting everywhere until you can no longer tell where yours begins and nature's ends. <laughs>